For some time, I have been uh, planning what we might do once we get beyond Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, and we have an opportunity to develop a sermon series that is particularly relevant to our time. And uh, the broad idea of focusing on renewal and revival has been uh, sort of taking shape. And uh, in recent weeks, about three weeks ago, I sort of came up with a title for it, Seeking Spiritual R&R, Renewal and Revival. Not just because it sort of seems like a timely thing, it's a vital thing when it comes to our personal spiritual lives and the life of our church and indeed of our community. I want to explore a bit more about what it means to seek renewal and revival because sometimes we feel as though we're totally passive in that space, as though we, we sit somewhere, you know, whether it's on a mountaintop or by a river or whatever else, and just wait for it to happen, to come upon us. And it's totally powerless for us. And in one sense, we can't contrive it, yet there are things that God calls us to do in preparation for seeking renewal and revival. Now, I will swear to you that three weeks ago, I thought, where do we start with that? And I thought, well, I might start with the story of Noah and the great flood, because that's the renewal of God's covenant, and uh, that's a good basis for our starting with uh, our theme. And uh, two weeks ago, I came up with what I thought was a pretty cool title for that one, After the Storm. You know, the flood is a seriously good storm. As it's happened in the past week, we've had some seriously significant storms. We've talked about the storm on uh, Thursday, on uh, Tuesday. So I thought the God, you know, oh, terrific to provide, you know, the, all the extra effects to go with a series on after the storm into our PA, our IT system and Wi-Fi and everything else was all going haywire uh, as a result of the blackouts and as we recover. But after the storm is a, uh, a good place to start because we do see the world a bit differently once we come through not just a physical storm but some of the storms in our own personal lives. Before we go into that particular dimension of it, I want to talk about more broadly how we can rethink what it means to seek spiritual R&R, spiritual renewal and revival. Let me start with uh, two images. The first one is from my own experience. A number of you know that I love sailing and I have a little sabre, a 12-foot sailing skiff. I've been working on it for 12 months to do some restoration work and it's just about ready to go back into the water and uh, I'll wait till the weather is right and it's a bit warmer but I'll get it on the river and uh, see how we go with that. However, there's nothing more frustrating if you're a, um, a yachty than being on the water and being totally becalmed. If there is no wind available to you and you're just sitting there, you're just subject to the currents and where they take you. doesn't matter if you're a little 12-foot sailing skiff or whether you've got a 40-foot beautiful cruiser. If it's just depending on the wind... You are becalmed. And sometimes I wonder whether that's 
where the Western churches, some of the churches that are the mainstream churches, have finding ourselves becalmed as though we are sort of just floating around with some of the currents that take us this way and that way. But we can't really say that we've got the, the full wind in our sails. There's one thing worse than being totally becalmed and just being listless on a yacht and actually looking across the other side of the river or the other side of the harbour or somewhere else and seeing other yachts with a good amount of wind in them. It's really frustrating when you look across them and they're catching the wind and off they go and you're sitting there listlessly. On my sailing skiff I have a little uh, paddle for emergency so if I could get to one side of the bank if, if all else fails. The trouble with a paddle is that you end up no matter how much you try and balance it, just going around in circles, not really getting anywhere. You can splash away, um, but it's not the most effective. Part of what we seek to do is to discern where that wind is coming from and making sure that we are doing our best to prepare for the wind when it comes, to be looking out for where God's wind, the wind of the Spirit, is on the move. And I am convinced that is the case. God's Spirit is on the move in our own world and environment, in our, uh, the world in which we inhabit. Let me tell you another story. And for this one, I might get John to bring me that piece of paper. John, can you bring the one on top? That's the one. This is a story that originally came from uh, Veronica Brady, um, from a previous generation. She was a great author, um, a poet, an essayist, and a um, very imaginative thinker. This has been um, adapted slightly, but it's uh, drawn from Veronica Brady. Once upon a time, there was a mighty river. It flowed gracefully and elegantly across the landscape. Along its banks, it gave life and sustenance to the tribes of Aboriginal Australians who camped by it. For many generations, this river was a central focus for life. Then, gradually, the river ceased to flow, becoming a stagnant pool. With the heat of summer, it started to dry up. Around the banks of the disappearing symbol of their security, the people watched aghast. What could be happening to them? By the dried up riverbed, many sat waiting for the river to flow once more. Yet others thought to look around and discovered that the river was not gone. Still flowing, it had simply changed course upstream, creating a billabong on the curve at which they sat. That appears in a book called Where the River Flows, and it's a very helpful, this is actually going back about 30 years ago now, um, uses that metaphor very effectively of where we find ourselves in our Western churches. We've been used to having river flows right outside our door. Those of us who come from an Anglo background in particular, 
would know that people who come into the colony of South Australia and Adelaide and then uh, many others since then would often make their way to a local Anglican church. So we had a good number of people who would find their way and come into the church. It's true in our own context and for many other churches. But that flow of that river is drying up, not nearly as strong as it used to be. And we find ourselves with less of that coming into our church. And like those who attempted just to sit by the side of that drying river and hope that it comes back, it's not going to come back. It has changed course. It is still there, but we need to up camp and move to where the river has now changed and moved. In many ways, we also need to recognise that the world around us isn't static. It does continue to change. And it could well be that God is calling us to move to where that river is flowing. If we seek renewal and revival, we just can't sit back passively and say, God, you come to me. We need to seek the Lord and seek his ways, seek the ways of the Spirit. There's another image that's used historically uh, by Matthew Arnold called uh, Dover Beach. And that's the image of Dover Beach, which we're at the total low tide. The water is way off in the distance, and it's a very sort of shallow. And uh, he pictures people on Dover Beach when the tide is totally out and just hoping that the tide will return and things will come back to the way they used to be. Except we're not like the Dover Beach. There won't be a tide that will come back in if we just stay in our spot. It is much more like that change of a river course where we need to move. And so right around many churches are rediscovering that it's not that God is not at work in our world around us, but we cannot expect that the way it's always been is the way that it will continue to be going into the future. As we seek spiritual renewal and revival, it could be that God is calling us that we sense that strengthening of a wind that involves us journeying towards it, not just personally, but as a church. That's my prayer as we seek this journey together. So we have a series looking at spiritual renewal and revival. I've got about 14 different weeks sorted out so far. I don't know when it's going to finish or whether it will change direction. It may well be. That's all part of the process but journey together. And today, as I said, as I started a few weeks back, after the storm, God's profound pledge of a new beginning is a great place to start our exploration of the theme of renewal. Now, as I said, just so happens in the past week, we've had some spectacular, this is some of the photos from the past week of the storm that we've had in Adelaide. We're used to sort of storms, but it was... At one stage, very, very intensive. And uh, whilst the storm itself is dramatic, for some it's actually quite damaging. And you go out afterwards and to work through, is, is there damage being done to the gardens or the damage that's been done to our uh, various infrastructure and things around us? 
And there's learnings to be done in that space. I'm not just talking about the physical storms, but I'm talking about the storms of life. Seasons that we go through in our own circumstances where suddenly things have changed direction, things are all different, and we know that there's no going back within that space. There's learnings to be done as we travel through those experiences. We learn actually what we may have been taken for granted is something that is invaluable, that is precious. I'm told that when uh, some of the passengers on the planes during 9-11 were aware that this was happening, they were able to get mobile phone cover and realise that this was uh, a grim situation that would result most likely in their death. And as they were phoning various people, I'm pretty sure they were not phoning the office to say, can you get that roster out or can you get the memos out? They were phoning their loved ones, their family, because that is what really matters. So after a storm, we do need to see the world around us anew and not to lose those lessons. Now, the the flood narrative comes in a part of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 11, that is in a particular form of legend um, storytelling. Um, it isn't just the episodes that, oh, by the way, there was a massive storm. There's a, a deeper meaning to it. It's closer to what we would describe as a dreamtime story. They're narratives that draw us into a greater sense of meaning and understanding of the world as we experience it. For the, um, the episode for Noah's and the, and the flood it comes where there's an escalation, a a widening of the circle of rebellion against the ways of God, where Adam and Eve initially thought they could decide better for themselves what was good, where Cain made decisions and there's so an escalation of the uh, desire to just forget God's way of of, uh, how life is to be lived, how to live rightly and to do their own thing. So by the time of Genesis 6, God looks out at at humankind and says, no, 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 this is not how it's supposed to be. There is abuse, there is manipulation, there is violence, there is self-centeredness, there is uh, powerful people overwhelming the weak and just ignoring them. And Jesus looked at humankind and said, no, this is not what I've intended for creation. So within that narrative framework, God reverses the act of creation. Whereas creation was the lowering of the waters and the raising of habitable land and being populated by living creatures upon the land, that's all that's described in Genesis chapter 1, the flood is a reversal of that. Almost as if God said, I've got to start again. I'll wipe it out and make a fresh start. In fact, it's a strong term. It says, for I regret that I have made them. The term is actually, I repented. I changed my mind. But God, Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. That is to say, he was in a righteous relationship with God. And so a provision is made, literally a, uh, a lifeboat is created. Now we're working in the language of of, uh, as I say, similar to the, 
the Dreamtime types of stories. And the structure of the story uh, has a beautiful framework. You can see the way in which it is it's woven. So if you read it through, you'll hear all the different numbers and statements of what happens, and it's what's called a palistrophic structure. So uh, as the, the, the storm builds its intensity, as the rains come and build up and build up and build up, there's a whole series of steps, almost like a flood river going to its peak, and that could be the end, which is a point of no return. Everything's going to be wiped out. But at that point... It all changes. God remembers Noah. And in that remembering, it wasn't, you know, as though God was running a bath and saying, oh, I've forgotten to turn the taps off, better turn that storm off. It's a relational commitment. God remembered his undertaking, his promise to Noah. And so everything changes and the structure works its way down again. So it actually has the, the structure of like a flood building up the turning around, and then the flood comes down again. It gives us strong hints of how we are to hear and to read this passage. And the culmination of it, once the land had been secure, the ark could um, found dry land, and the family were able to come out. We're told that this turning point was all within the purposes of God. God remembered Noah. And in that, the renewal, the new commitment is entirely an act of God. So where do we go with that in terms of reflecting? How does that story, in some ways it's sort of part of our experience, but not quite the same. How does that speak into our own experience of life? So it isn't just the physical storms, though they... Uh, obviously a very powerful and evocative and memorable, about the storms that we go through, whether it's a health or a um, whole manner of things that can suddenly throw our lives into a spin and we have to sort of work out which way is up and to recover from them. The same message speaks into those experiences. First of all, there is the rainbow. Did anyone see a rainbow last week? I'm told there were some beautiful ones around. And the rainbow is an enduring picture or image that God's presence, and it's a symbol of that presence, that he would, uh, is now <coughs> committed to an everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures. <coughs> Now, I have used these slides before in a sermon last year, but it's a new sermon, just I use the same slides to remind us, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly because of that. What do we remember when we just get reminded by that symbol? First of all, we have a reminder of God's purposes. This is what God is about. God is redemptive. That is to say, God can enter into a messy situation, And no matter how messy that situation can be, there is a pathway God provides to redeem, to bring something good out of that mess, out of those circumstances. It doesn't mean that we have a a past to say that nothing bad ever happens to us, 
but it says that in and through it, good can emerge. God is about restoration. God's purposes are to see things restored, to brought into the state of being that God intends them to be. And again, we see that over and over again, both personally and in terms of uh, bringing people back on track where they've lost their way. We have uh, a beautiful image with the, uh, the, the waters coming down and the, uh, the land emerging and becoming productive again, being fruitful and, and multiply, of God being recreative. Through those processes, there is not just healing, there is growth, there is flourishing, there's uh, things that will mature and come into a productive season. God is endlessly recreative in every sense of that word. And finally, God is transformative. That is to say, we often hear ourselves the message that we're just stuck in a space and nothing is ever going to change us. This is just the way we are. And God says, no, it doesn't need to be the way we are. Transformation is possible and it can go deep in a way in which any other human agency isn't able to do. Through God's breath into our lives, into our souls, there can be genuine transformation of what makes us tick, what we have a passion and renewed delight in. And again, we see all these features again and again throughout the biblical narrative. The reason I've gone with those, and I wanted to start with them here, is that there's a, it's a prayer for renewal in the Lord's Prayer. Right at the top, where it talks about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To seek spiritual renewal and revival is the desire that God's purposes, God's will that is done in the heavens will come and begin to to reshape our experience on earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is where we are to hear God's call. We need to to gain that desire, that thirst for God's kingdom and seek it to be something that is good and healthy and that is life-giving for our immediate life but also for our world around us and to point people in that direction. It concludes with this vow, this commitment that God made to Noah and to his sons. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And every living creature that was with you, every living creature on earth. A covenant is a, um, more than just a, uh, a promise. It is a promise, but it's actually an undertaking with accountability. It's a form of agreement, so we, there are still legal covenants that we can enter into. And in the ancient world, most relationships were shaped by a covenant, by an agreement. And it would come in the form that if I fail in this, then there are, I accept the, the consequences. So I'm pledging myself to this covenant. God is the great covenant maker. It's the first time in the biblical narrative that the word covenant appears. But actually where it says, I establish my covenant, the word actually has a stronger sense of I re-establish. 
It's always been there with God's commitment to creation, but it is now explicit. God saying, I am committed to this covenant with you and with every living creature on the earth, to this world. God will not give this world the flick, but actually will sustain and see it through to its goal that creation is an ongoing project where God expects us as humanity to play our part in seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we seek personally and as a church renewal and revival, and we all want that. I know I'm not arguing for anything that people are saying, why would we want that? But it does mean that sometimes we need to recognise that the river has changed course, the wind is blowing in a different direction, and God is calling us to go out where he is at work. But it starts with that desire within our own selves. We don't seek to receive renewal and revival because that would be pretty cool. We seek it because it makes us true to who we are created to be. And that is a good and an exciting prospect. God isn't finished with us yet. None of us have said, look, I've reached that stage. I'm entirely happy with who I am and there's no need for any change. First of all, the world around us will change, but even more so, to have that desire that, Lord, draw me into that space where your will, your purposes become absolutely central to how I live day in and day out, every hour and every moment throughout the day. That is the journey that I invite you on as we pray for each other that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we seek renewal and revival only through the power of God, but listening and responsive as we seek that. Amen.